Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 491 with my return guest, Ted Lyde. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com, and you can fill out surveys there. You can um, shoot an email. Uh, you can browse the forum. You can do all kinds of things. Um, MetalPod, also the social media handle that you can follow us at. Now, you know, also at MetalPod.com, you can find ways to support the show financially, which is really important. We always, always, always need uh, donors, whether it's via PayPal or Patreon or Zelle. Uh, all of those things help. Uh, I am going to dive right into today's episode it's with my friend Ted Lyde, and um, I think you're going to like it. And if you don't, go fuck yourself. Every little thing feels like the end of the world. The darkness came so quickly. I was so fucking angry. Make me as close to dead as possible. And I felt so powerless. Without the commitment. If there's a word for it, unbearable. It means somebody else felt this way. The feeling is so intense. It is a lot more work. I was frightened all the time. To feed a child's emotional world. Everyone feels pain. Than it is their superficial world. Everyone suffers. My sexual addiction was the shame. My mom ended up killing that woman in front of me and my brothers. I had to feel that shame in order to feel the pleasure. And I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings. And the only way you're going to get it out is to cry. We need to be with people. I grabbed them by their throats and led them down to the floor and watched the breath leave their bodies. Maybe well, listen, thanks for coming in. <laughs> I'm here uh, with my friend and return guest, Ted Lyde. We decided that we were going to do kind of a joint 
recording. He has a uh, a podcast as well. Tell him a little bit about about your podcast. Uh, you know, my podcast is called uh, uh, what is it called? It's called Learning Not to Swear with Ted Lyon. Uh, and actually, I, I I give Paul Gamartin uh, uh, credit for being like the godfather of my podcast because I did his podcast and it went went pretty well. And he like I think after like a month, he called me and said. Uh, gotten so much feedback from your podcast from the episode you did of of um, mental illness happy hour uh and they either love you or hate you and this is that's what he says i've gotten like 50 emails and they either love you or hate you and uh, you should probably do your own po- if you get people this upset yes. you should probably get your own podcast one of the things that uh i love about you is that you you are the least bullshitty person that i've ever met and you are not afraid to upset somebody with your truth. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on because, oh, there's some shit going on. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, also you being uh, a person of color, I wanted to get your take on things. Uh, we want to talk about the pandemic. Uh, you're recovering from cancer. You're on the waiting list for a kidney. So other than the pandemic, society falling apart, the earth roasting, financial <laughs> hardship, and cancer, how are you? <laughs> you know, it's this has been a they, – they took the kidney out in March, and then that's like just when the pandemic, you know, kind of hit the ground where everyone's saying, okay, now you can't go anywhere and don't talk to anybody. So I've spent, you know – the first part of the year just preparing for that surgery to get the kidney dealt with. And then, uh, and then that happened. And then my kids all came home from school. My son you know, was, was in high school. Now he's at home and my daughter was in college and now she's back in the house and my wife's been working from home. So there's all four of us and the dog are in the house for three months. Now we've been in the house and it's been really hard, not just because you you're stuck in the house with your family and no one can go anywhere. But then you have the the element of you know, potential death if you go to the grocery store and you don't approach it the right way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm I am wearing a mask by the way right now. Ted uh, has chosen not to not to wear one. Yeah, but uh, we're about uh, four, four feet four feet apart. My wife would be furious if she could if she was here right now. But yes. I, I I can't I have trouble breathing. Yeah. You know. Since the surgery, anyway, it's hard for me to draw breath. Yes. So, uh, and by the way, nobody has since the pandemic. Nobody has been on the mic that you are on. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, good. So, so there's all of that, and then you add on this. You know, all of a sudden, racial strife becomes this thing that you just can't believe that it's still an issue after all this time. Right. It's like, how do you upstage a pandemic? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And why would you? What kind of mental illness do you have as a, you know, as a human being or let alone as a cop to say, you know, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to do something even more horrible and catastrophic than COVID-19. You know what I mean? And then something that essentially then drives people who are supposed to be social dis- distancing it yeah. compels them through outrage to to gather. Right. It it really seems like the universe is pushing society to a breaking point. Yeah. And uh so the first time you saw the the George Floyd video, what did you feel and what did you think? 
Well, the first thing I, I remember seeing it, and uh, I'll never forget, I I was just stunned, and I was in a trance until uh, he started saying "mama." When he said "mama," I I started crying. I just started. I was weeping right there, watching this on my phone, and uh, I could not believe. You know, what kind of man does this to another human being, to another man? And once any man hears another man calling for their mother, I mean, that's like the ultimate uncle. That's the ultimate I give. That's the ultimate tap out. And this guy heard him saying it and still nothing. And still nothing. And uh, and and the, the other policemen standing there. Yeah, and they didn't. They, none of them felt obligated to walk over and shove him. Just give him a shove and say, "Hey, that's enough." Or talk to him. Yeah. Say something to him. Yeah. I I, I was stunned by that, and then I'll, ultimately, the second time I watched it, I, I I I knew in my own heart that I'm the type of man that could not have stood by, and because there's guys talking to the cop, there's sta- you know mm-hmm. bystanders talking and pleading with him to to take action or to to stop to and change course and he wouldn't but I'm the type of guy who after like I wouldn't have, I couldn't have watched that for 8 minutes mm-hmm. by the you know second minute I'd be under arrest or shot or you know you there's a scene in do the right thing with Spike mm-hmm. Lee where he gets the the trash can and goes over and smashes a window I'd have done something I know me to know enough that I'd have done something to make myself the center of of attention and hopefully distract this man enough to get off of this guy's neck. I, and I was just stunned that nobody had the courage or the the mindset to to take action. I I think a lot of people have have wondered that, but I personally, if I was in those people's shoes, I don't know what. I I would have done because I wouldn't have known that he was going to die. And I, and I would have, I would have been afraid of getting my, my ass kicked, getting my head broken open. And, um, I I can't imagine the, the, the guy that was saying, bro, bro, bro. I can't imagine what he is going through. And the, and the woman, anybody who was, who was there? Yeah, that because we always second guess ourselves after something tragic happens. We always want to want to blame ourselves. And um, thank as, you for being honest uh, uh, about that. As black people, I think that we we have reached a point, or we should have reached a point right now, where we're where we there should be a mob mentality in a situation like that, where we now you're you are a family member. And it's like, I'm not going to stand by and let anybody do that to my kid or my anybody in my family and not make a move of some kind. Right. And it's and so I don't care if there's four, three cops standing there flanking this guy. If we all move in on them, then they're going to have to shoot all of us. Then they're right. going to have to do whatever they're going to do. You have to do you have to tase all of us. You're going to have to do yes. whatever you're going to do, whatever horrible, yes. your, whatever your next horrible move is. Yeah. You're going to do it to all of us. I, I get the feeling that as a society, we have moved closer to to that we should we should be there yeah we should we should, we should be there it's like listen listen there's there, there's four of you there's at least eight or 12 of us and you're going to shoot us all mm-hmm. but we're going to keep moving in on you until you get off of his neck one of the questions that i think is going through everybody's mind is what is causing this 
epidemic? Why is this not going away? I mean, obviously, racism has been here for 400 years. But in terms of how police continue to do this and continue to get away with it, and the the seeming uh, or actual lack of compassion and the sadism on the part of so many policemen, where does this come from? Did they come into the force that way? Did they come, you know, did the, the, uh, did something break in them? Uh, is what the fuck is, is going on? And I think until we can start to answer those questions, we won't know how to address it. There was a guy that, uh, who was an ex cop and he wrote an article anonymously about all of the horrible shit that he did and witnessed and stood by that happened. And the overall thing that he said was they are taught almost from the beginning that your safety, the policeman's safety, comes first. Paramount. Paramount, which on some level I can I can understand that they need to protect themselves to be able to function and do their job. But he said the other thing that was pounded into their heads was that this is, you do not talk about any other cop. And the way that they are trained is not to de-escalate things. And th- there was a lot of other things that, that he shared in this article. And it, it, it was it was really eye-opening, not in terms of the abuses that go on, but the extent to that he that he said and he listed a dead sea scrolls of abuses that were commonplace by all the police yeah. that he worked with yeah i believe that I, I i think that that's one of the problems is there's this us or them mentality that has been adopted and uh, you know and and you want to believe that it's it's just racial but then there's a scene uh in Baltimore where they shoved that poor old man down and busted mm-hmm. his head open yeah. and then marched past him. Yeah. Uh, that was completely uncalled for. He wasn't posing a threat to them. Right. So one of them could what? not have, you know, taken him by the arm and guided him out of the path. Yeah, you're in a, you're, you're marching down the street. So you're in a path and you don't want your path disrupted, right. but there's enough of you to get this guy out of the path and say, listen, you, you, if you don't want to get hurt, you need to stay over here. So what, what is going through that police officer's mind when he is doing that? It does. He is, is there something instinctively terrified in him that, that he is going on adrenaline and, and something has taken over him that's out of control? Or is he calmly and coolly and premeditatedly saying, this is my chance to fuck some people up? I think it's probably a little bit of, of each, but mostly the disregard that says, you know, we are, we are in charge and you, are, you have no you power. You are against us. You have no say in you. Right. If you're in my way, you're against me. And if you can't, if you had the common sense that you should have, you see us coming, you should, why aren't you out of the way? Right. I shouldn't have to tell you to get out of the way. Right. And you shouldn't expect me to be, to treat you like a human being and guide you out of the way. So I'm going to put you on your ass. And that's the, that's the problem with policing now is that the, as a black man, the minute, the minute that I'm stopped by the cops, I have two choices to be to be confrontational or to be submissive. Um, 
I feel like I should have the right to be confrontational if, if I feel like I'm being harassed or singled out for no reason. But if I want to tr- not escalate and put this cop in a position where no, you know, you're you're a threat to me, and that's all it takes. You see videos where just your being disagreeable mm-hmm. is enough to be for them to consider a threat. Not that you've been hostile or violent, but just the fact that you're being disagreeable. Just if you say, "Why are you stopping me? Why did you stop me?" too many times, then then now I have, I'm going to take this to a twelve when it, when we could all keep it right here at a four. Uh, and, and speaking of 12 there, the, one of the things this cop shared in this article that he wrote was that there was a saying prevalent among he and his comrades uh, that, that goes, uh, I would rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Yeah. Yeah, that's a common, you know. I had never heard that before. Kind of vigilante. Uh, you know, I I grew up. I'm a Batman fan. I get you know being a badass and not wanting to, you know. Okay, but to to answer your original question, I think what it feels like to me now in my old age, in my many years, it feels like it's something that's in the blood. It feels like there's a type of person that becomes a cop. There's a type of person that doesn't become a cop. There's a type of person that wants to dominate. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a person that, that just wants to get on with their day. I think that the cops, the, what the cops have become is now something that attracts guys that want to dominate and, mm-hmm. and feel good about dominating people. Uh, and not just black people, but why, why not? Black people, they're the easiest to dominate when you're a cop. Um, so I think that I think that there's something genetic about the the breed of people that are drawn to that lifestyle. Mm. Um, it feels genetic. It feels like there's something in the DNA of mankind, particularly white men. You know, you look at the history of America. There was a window where where America, where uh, pilgrims or the settlers could have chosen to share this country. There was a there was a window where they could have decided, okay, we're we're going to find a way to make peace with the Indians, and we're going to coexist, and we're not. But the the dominant impulse was to to drive them out and to dominate them, and to. to mm-hmm. I believe that that DNA still exists. I believe that there's a part of white men that skips a generation or moves through a bloodline that that, that wants to drive out anybody that's different. That wants to crush anyone that opposes them. You see it a lot in the business world where it's acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I don't know if it's limited to uh, race, but there is a predatory um, mentality that it's not what is the right thing to do. It's what can I get away with? Well, I look out on that hillside and I see, you know, uh, buffalo and I see... Indians, and I see, uh, you know, a settlement, uh, a tribe of people who, but then I don't see them as people or people who deserve to be there. I see their land and what I can mm-hmm. do with it and why I want it. And, and you know, and, and so it becomes about, that's what it's about. It's about dominating that thing. Mm-hmm. So I believe that there's just something in the, the, the bloodline. I don't know if there's a way to cure it. <laughs> you know, a way to 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 seize it and pull it out, 
But it, that's how it feels to me. It feels like there's just this right. organic thing that some cats, you know, I'm sorry. I just. Well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because I knew, I knew you wouldn't polish it up before you, you served it to me, you know, that, that you would you would talk straightforward about what it is that you think and you feel. And I'm sure somebody, some people uh, who are white would be like, you know, uh, how, how dare he, you know, say that, uh, you know, I'm this or I'm that I've never, I've never harmed anybody, but I think there's, um, I think everybody's got to be reflecting on well, what, what it is, whether you're taking, uh, action that's hurting people or just doing nothing disregard is disregard and that's that's the that's the kernel of all of it it's it's so the question is to what degree do you carry you know what degree of back black belt are you in disregarding are you are you first degree disregarder because that's what it boils down to you know white people are finally starting to say this this racism is a problem that we have to fix and it's true it's more of a problem than white people need to, to fix because they're the ones that are killing everyone. Uh, there's so many more killings. I won't say everyone. Black people just don't sit off and kill white people. I'm not going to say that. But what I am going to say is that you you find more cases in the news throughout history where black people have been lynched and dragged out of their homes or shot in their homes or in their cars than white people. If black people were killing white people at the rate that whites are killing blacks there'd be gun laws there would mm-hmm. the, if black people were shooting white folks the way they're getting shot there'd be gun laws there'd be changes in the gun laws i i also think you would see an occupation i think you would see a military state you know like you like you see in um Israel and the Palestinian territories. I think you would see something along those lines. You know, we love the Constitution until we think someone's going to take our stuff. Yeah. And Donald Trump has proven that we don't really love our Constitution as much as we we pretend we do either. Donald Trump has driven that fact home. Yeah. That the Constitution is just a, it's like a, you know, a to-do list. (laughs) Either you'll get to it or you don't. Either you believe it or you don't. So how do you talk to your kids about what's going on? You know, uh, my children are mixed. My my wife is Irish, and uh, so my children are biracial. And uh, you know, my son has special needs, and so he doesn't he doesn't. We don't really talk much about racism with him. We, you know, we we did talk to him about the the virus and staying safe and. Wearing his mask, he's real good about wearing his mask when he's out in public, and he asks everybody that he meets if they're sick. He does sign language, and he's nonverbal, but he does some sign language, and he'll ask people if they're sick. And uh, but as far as racism goes, we we don't really cover that with him. He he's gonna he's the type of kid who's gonna need a caregiver his whole life, so I think he'll be in good hands for the most part as far as not having to deal face to face with racism. My daughter is mixed, and she's very sensitive, very smart young woman. And, uh, you know, we don't really talk about it either because she's lived with it. She's lived with it from both sides already in her whole in her young life. She's only 18 now. But, you know, she, being very fair-skinned, she's dealt with discrimination from black girls who, you know, don't want to be friends with her because she's white. 
and see a white girl, and then uh, she's had white people in her life that have been made comments about they forget that she's black, and they make comments that are hurtful. So she's she's plugged in, and um, you know she's very liberal and very you know woke, and so. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, it's mind-boggling for me because it's, it's not a place I thought I would ever be. You mm. know, when I married a white woman, and when, I, when I was a young man and optimistic, I thought by the time I had kids and by the time I was an old man, this would, you know, we, we'd all have jetpacks and <laughs> my skin color wouldn't matter anymore. We'd be protesting <laughs> with our jetpacks. Right. <laughs> and the least of anyone's concern would be that I'm a black guy. Do the protests give you any glimmer of hope that change might happen? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, people, I've, I've had a few conversations about this. Um, the, the looting and the rioting is normally, has in the past has always been something that I've been against and felt bad about, uh, kind of embarrassed by, uh, but not anymore. Now anymore, I uh, you know I'm I don't care anymore. I mean, I, I, you know, looting is not desirable, and I don't I don't do it. But I it doesn't also, upset you like it used no, to. No, I feel like you know what's you know what's, to me that's the thing. The bar has been set. The bar has been set for what's fucked up. Standing on someone someone's neck is the fucking pinnacle of fucked upness. So I don't care if your store got burned down. I don't care. You want to not have your shit burned down. You want to not have these things, these horrible things happening in your neighborhood and being afraid of, you know, floods of people protesting in the street. Well, you know, then you got to find a way to fix the racism and stop acting like it's okay for you to do whatever the fuck you feel like doing. You don't want me to do whatever the fuck I feel like doing, which is burning this son of a bitch down. You don't want me to do what I feel like doing. But guess what? I only feel like doing what I feel like doing because you feel like you can do whatever you want to do, which is stand yes. on my neck. Or, so st- I, or stand by. Yeah, or stand by and, uh, you know, fly, fly your flag of disregard. Speaking of standing by, what would you say if you could be in the room with those uh, police officers that stood by while... Wow. George Floyd died. Or the other guy, or uh, Chauvin. The one question I would want to ask is he was was cuffed. He was cuffed and faced down on the pavement. So what is the significance of choking out someone? How big of a coward are you that you still find this man to be some sort of threat to you when he's face down on the pavement with his hands he can't even get up. And you have a gun. And you have a gun and a taser. And he can't get up. If you get off of him, he can't get up because he's like a snail with no, you know, with no arms to stand up. So he's going to have to roll around to try to get to his knees. He, you are a complete advantage. Why do you feel compelled to cut off his hair? What, is, what, is, what threat are you trying to avoid by cutting off his hair? It's a complete bitch move. What, it's a complete little bitch move. What, what do you think they would say? 
uh, they would say what you were saying before. My safety is the most important thing. I'm like, how much more safety is required for you than him being face down? It, uh, him being unconscious is the ultimate safety for me. You know what I think they would say? Uh, this, is, this is how we were trained. I think that's going to be the defense in the uh, in the trial. And I of would those say, you know what? Nobody has trained you to stand on someone's neck for eight minutes. Right. Nobody has said. And uh, after you get to that fifth minute, you want to, you know, your knees mm-hmm. are going to start to cramp up, so you're going to want to try to, you know, juggle your weight a little bit on his throat because that's the tough time for you is that crossing that fifth minute. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here! Bullshit. Do you have any? advice for people who aren't of color like me how we can be better advocates <laughs> no i you know that i mean i i used to i may have in the past felt i could answer that but now since i feel like it's a genetic something genetic just like you know, genetically, I'm predisposed to diabetes and mm-hmm. and uh, hypertension, which is what has damaged my kidneys. So there's, you know, that means my mother and my father they've had they had some mm-hmm. variation of diabetes and hypertension, and so there's something genetic that is causing this, in my opinion, and my how it feels to me. So what can I what can any word say? You know, it's like you talking to me about my diabetes. It's like you you don't have diabetes, you don't have these ailments. So what or what words can you possibly say that will heal me and my issue that I have to, I have to do the maintenance and do the therapies to fix myself. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I feel now. I don't, I feel like it's something that I can't, I can't address other than to say you need to be aware and you should be trying to do something better because the outcome for you is destruction f- from me. I am not going to sit here quietly and let this happen without burning your shit now. And then that that that's to me that's a fair trade. It's you know the, the phrase "no justice, no peace" has always been out there, but I think we're reaching a point now where we're about to show you. Okay, well, this is what this means. Right. This is what it means. It, it, justice with no justice, no peace without any actual consequence. Mm-hmm. And that's been the problem is that there's no consequence. You know, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, uh, Tamir Rice. There's no, if there's no consequence, then of course there's, you know, how can I say there's no justice, no peace when my no peace doesn't have any teeth? Yeah, and sadly, the only way you're going to get some people's attention is through their wallet. It's certainly in a in a capitalist society that that has seemingly no restraints on it. I believe that that's true. I believe yeah. that you know you know what white men don't want is their shit burnt down. And I I <clears throat> do not uh, enjoy seeing people loot. Uh, I I am not pro looting at all. Neither am I. Uh, but I got no problem with it if the if the exchange. It is my life. I got no problem with it if it's an exchange of a man's life taken on basically in prime time, in broad daylight, with no consequences and no 
remorse or no, there's no, that glimmer in his eye that says, maybe I'm going too far. And you know what I think was important too, is that it happened in a Northern city. I think that especially woke people up because if this had happened in the South, I think a lot of people North of the Mason Dixon line would have said, this is a Southern thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's also, you know, kind of scary. That, yeah. The, the, that, that illusion of, you know, we're, we're, at least we're not in Alabama or at least we're not dealing mm -hmm. with Georgia. The fact that you realize, well, Minnesota is, you know, is Georgia North. Is Alabama North. Let's take a break right here and give some love to our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com Online Counseling. If you have never tried online counseling, you should absolutely give it a shot. And they now serve uh, people who are under 18. It requires uh, parental consent, but uh, once consent is acquired, uh, the relationship between the um, youth, is that what you would call them, and the counselor is uh, private. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know that you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire and they'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor. And if you are under 18, they'll send you to teencounseling.com and uh, get the ball rolling on uh, getting consent from your parents and finding a counselor and all that good stuff. And um, the process satisfies all the legal requirements in all 50 states and they have 600 plus counselors who are focused on working with teens so again uh, betterhelp.com slash mental this episode is sponsored by when breath becomes air when breath becomes air by paul kalanathy is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question what makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, let's talk about some fun things. Let's talk about the pandemic. <laughs> let's brighten things up a bit. Let's talk about the virus that is ravaging our planet. Yeah. What 
what have been the most common thoughts and feelings that, that you have had since the, the quarantine? The fact that we're just, it's just the, the, what is bad now, uh, doesn't seem to be bad anymore. Uh, this, to me, this is a tremendous failing. Uh, Obama tried to give us health care and they acted like it was, the, the, the Republicans in particular acted like they're so much more offended by the attempt at health care, the Affordable Health Care Act, than they are about the pandemic. Yeah. So we have something that is a, a, a push through by a Democrat to try to give people affordable health care. And they're, oh, no, it's going to ruin America. It'll never work. It'll never work. It's, he's trying to ruin America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that then you have something that's killed over a hundred thousand. Were we at a hundred thousand deaths yet? I think I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. I think we're at a, easily at a hundred thousand deaths by this point in, by from coronavirus, and not a peep. No, it's somehow it's not as bad as him trying to get healthcare. It, it just is upside down. It makes no sense. The fact that Trump can campaign with his head held high when there's this many American more uh, deaths on American soil they said than the Vietnam War Ted, Ted I want my freedom returned to me I want to, I want my right to be able to be declined for a, a pre-existing condition I want that freedom back <laughs> you should you should have it back to, to die uh, in in poverty it, it's I, that's the th- I think the thing that's been the most mind-boggling thing for me is that, like I said, is that so this is not a failure anymore. They've redefined what failure is, and and then to me it's just that's and, if they and, can if they can convince the world or America that failure is no longer failure, mm. then we're we're in trouble. I think one of the things that I, that I would really love to see change is I would love, and I have a lot of problems with the Democratic Party. I, you know, I, I usually vote Democratic because they're a better alternative in my mind than the Republican Party, but they are weak, corrupt. Uh, you know, they. I could go on and on. And no. one of the things that really pisses me off is that they have allowed the Republicans to make socialism a bad word, yeah. to make compassion and caring for the people in your village like we did for 10,000 years. We took care of each other, and they have they have made that into a bad thing. No. Democrats should be saying, yes, I'm a socialist. Yes, I care about my fellow man, and, and we can afford, we can afford to help the people who are neediest. Nope. Do you need five fucking summer homes? Nobody brands their uh, agenda the way the Republicans do, and, I, I, and that's that's one of their strengths is that they are able to sell turds and not lie about it being a turd yeah. and still sell it. Yeah, <laughs> and the Democrats think the way is to sell dingleberries. Yeah. And, and, but to, to try to convince you that's not a dingleberry. Listen, uh, the, the the tax reform, there was no, there was no reason for it. There was no way to justify it in the you know in the eyes of the working class. And yet, 
they sold it and and he didn't get any kind of backlash or yeah. any kind of you know blowback from his own fans who are poor people it, it, it's amazing yeah uh, one of the, one of the positive things about our current political uh, lack of choice is that i'm less afraid to die i'm less afraid of death i truly am there I... are days when i think if i died in my sleep you know i don't want to suffer but you know hey, you know what i agree with that except i just don't want to die while that bastard is i don't want to die while he's president i think that would that to, to me that's like he really wins if i die while he's still in the white house that <laughs> he beat me he beat per it's a personal beating then i gotta i gotta at least live gotta long enough. i live yes. long enough to yes. see him go have there been any healthy coping mechanisms that you've relied on during the during the quarantine or you know during the you know, I don't watch. I, I stopped watching very much news. I don't watch very much news at all anymore. I used to wake up and watch the, you know, scan the news in the morning, watch the Today Show, CBS this morning, uh, you know, just flip around and catch all the headlines. Uh, I don't do that anymore. You know what? I've been watching sitcoms and movies, and you know, just trying to create a little firewall between myself and uh, something I seem to have no control over, and. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Yeah, uh, it, I think that it's unhealthy to submerge yourself in something yes. that is that toxic, which is just basically outdoors now. Right, and and I don't think that that we need to uh, submerge ourselves to stay informed. I think there's a way to yeah kind of titrate the amount of information that that we're taking in, yes. especially because the media. All the media outlets, are, you know, they're they're either, you know, outright criminal in the lies they spread or they're just plain lazy. Yes. But, uh, CBS this morning with Gail King and, and uh, I, the, what they do at the top of their show every morning is this is your world in 90 seconds. And they, they do like at seven o'clock, they do your world in 90 seconds. And I usually if I don't catch it, then I you know DVR that and I catch that. And then they'll tell you what the, and maybe I'll watch, you know, to see if there's something interesting. But that that ninety seconds is usually that's enough for me to feel like yes. I'm, I'm good. I have a I have a glimpse. I have a thumbnail. So, have there been any ways that are unhealthy that you've been coping that you're comfortable sharing about? You know, trying to eat right has been hard. I I feel compelled to uh, eat cheeseburgers every day. I just feel like comfort food every day. Uh, I found out that Wendy's is apparently giving a bunch of money to Trump, which is like my favorite burger is the Wendy's. And so now I feel, you know, that's depressing. <laughs> the number of all the burgers I love the most, this is, oh, you bastards. You bastards, every... But every four dollars I spent on a combo, and I like, well, how much of that goes to that bonehead? Uh, so yeah, just trying to eat right, get out and walk. My family walks every day. We walk. My 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 wife is really good about making us all walk, and you know, you just I don't know, man. This is just not. I'm I'm approaching the final chapters of my of my years, and these this is not 
at all what I thought Mm-mm. any of it would be like. Yeah. The fact that a man could let a pandemic hit American soil and ignore it for 30 days or 45 days that he ignored it and uh, and still get to run for president again and everyone be just pretend that that didn't happen or that doesn't mean that your safety and his your well-being is 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 not a clearly not a priority to him and yet you want to tell me that he should stay have you had any moments uh, during the the quarantine that were oddly beautiful or made you laugh or smile or you know having my kids your soul having my kids in the house you know it's a mixed bag because you feel horrible for them that they're my son misses his school and his classmates. He's a uh, he's special needs, so he does not have the you know. My daughter can go up into her room and Zoom and FaceTime and talk on the phone with her friends and kind of have a you know a network of people. He doesn't really have that kind of a peer group that he can communicate with that way. So he's isolated. Um, and then my daughter's again; she's isolated too in her own way. This is not the way youth is supposed to be spent under house arrest. So that that's it's a mixed bag in that. At the same time, it's great to have them in the house, and it's great to have their company, and they've been really good natured and good spirited about it, and and uh, talking to my daughter and watching movies with her. You know, I, I always try to record at least in one movie to watch with her, you know, something that she hasn't seen. And, um, you know, so that, that's, that's been the best part is getting this bond, extra bonding time with, with my kids and, and my wife too, I guess. I, <laughs> <laughs> I just figured she might be listening. She might be listening. So, and of course, my beautiful wife Jamie yeah. was always there. She to is. She is awesome. Uh, I love me. Jamie. I love Jamie. Well, dude, thanks for for uh, schlepping over the hill to come well, come pleasure, do this man. with me. Yeah, he was. We, he had some tech. Paul had some technical difficulty oh, getting his computer to work. That's an understatement. And and, uh, and so he just kept apologizing, coming out to see if I was okay. And I was laying on the sofa. And I told him, man, I've been cooped up in my house for three months with my kids. This is like this is like uh, Hawaii right now. This is like I'm, this is so. I might go back and sit on your. I might sit on your sofa another hour. This has been so cool. Well, good man. I'm, I, I love you, buddy. I love you too, man. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as 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 much as I did. Uh, and of course, it's always always good to see Ted. Uh, I don't have any surveys today. It's been kind of a crazy week. Uh, I had a little bit of a of a meltdown and been, I think I shared a week ago or maybe even two weeks ago, um, on a different dosage of one of my meds, and it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, the depression kind of comes and goes, and when it does, it's just all I want to do is be in bed and... Um, so everything has been feeling pretty Herculean. Um, so there you have it. I, I hope you guys got something out of uh, out of our episode. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.
Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.